Listening Dog Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think you're amazing, by the way. Oh, thank um, you so much. If I sound like a weird fanboy at times, um, you know, just bat me off. No, all Um, good. (laughs) Here goes. How to DJ. How to DJ. DJ. How to DJ. A long time ago, I decided to do less but better. We are going to choose where we're going. Hello, I'm Chris Hawkins, and this is How to DJ. The ambition was to go all the way with it, get a show on one extra, and tour the world as a DJ. First thing you've got to remember when you rock a sound system is to look good. How to DJ. A podcast that explores the life stories, techniques, minds, and experiences of much-loved DJs, where I ask them to pick five questions from a box of 45. I wouldn't say control freak, but definitely discipline is something that works really well for me in my life. And here with me, a DJ. I remember being in that room thinking, oh, I love this. A producer. I'm not from a musical family, but you you can make it happen. A tour de force. I've always been quite provocative and I've always wanted to stand out from the crowd. Can you complete this sentence? No. Never again will I... DJ with heels on. (laughs) I kick my heels off now before I start DJing. I've always realised that to throw a great party, you have to be up really early in the morning working. To do a great DJ set, you can't be absolutely shattered. Because I like to be really good at what I do. I've always been a bit of a perfectionist and I like to... If people are coming and paying money to see me perform, um, I've got to give them a great show. It's Jodie Harsh. Hello, Jodie. Hi. It's great to be here. I love this podcast. Jodie, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Jodie, I'm in Manchester. Where are you right now? I'm in London, lying on my bedroom floor. (laughs) Describe your bedroom. Uh, Wooden floors, brick walls and a huge queen-size bed. (laughs) Nice. Where is it? Um, I live um, in Shoreditch in East London. Is that an awesome place to live, yeah? I've been here for quite a long time um, in this part of London. Loads of my friends live in the area. I love it. I love it here. Yeah. It's uh, one of those places where you can just stroll out onto the street and find everything that you could ever wish for, right? Yeah, and you can kind of go out and get mugged, and I kind of love that. <laughs> I love that sense of danger. It feels a bit New Yorky. Do you find that there's too much temptation there? You know, you could be out every night of the week. Uh, no. not really because when I'm not working I'm lucky to have this amazing job where I can be out doing interesting things hearing loads of music doing loads of great stuff and I also really appreciate my downtime as well I really really like nights off where I can catch up with friends or watch movies or work on some music or do something that doesn't involve being out out would you say then that you're a disciplined person I'm extremely disciplined yeah with my gym which is a little harder, but I'm really disciplined with things like food and nights out. And I wouldn't say control freak, but definitely discipline is something that works really well for me in my life. Yeah. Has that always been the case? Is that how you grew up? Yeah, I've always been like that for sure. Tell me about your childhood, Jodie. Where where did you go to school and when did you first get into music? So I went to school, I'm from Canterbury in Kent, which is a lovely city, but not the most interesting city when it comes to nightlife. And 
when I was about 15 or 16, I started sneaking up to London and going out to clubs and stuff like that. And that's where I got a taste for nightlife. I was going to like trade when I was 16, like late night after hours, gay dance clubs, 16 years old with fake ID, listening to house music. Music's always been around in my house. We listened to a lot of Michael Jackson, Madonna and Prince. Um, and a lot of funk. My dad used to play me lots of James Brown and kind of funky stuff. I was obsessed when I was a kid with that song Wordy Rapping Hood by the Tom Tom Club, I think they're called. Yeah. I was completely obsessed with that. I remember the album art was really detailed and hand-drawn and just I loved the album art. And I loved Michael Jackson's Dangerous album and the album art for that. And I just loved sort of quite intricate artwork matched with interesting groundbreaking music sounds, even from a very, very young age. What you're describing there is music with really high production values. So that's interesting. Absolutely. And also a visual as well. So the marriage between music and pop culture and, and kind of visual arts have always been something that I'm very much drawn to. And then my earliest memory of, of getting into dance music was, um, we had this CD of ministry of sound. It was a ministry of sound, like the annual compilation i think it was called the annual and it was mixed by boy george it was when he was sort of running around djing i think it was probably you know a few years old but i remember listening to it all the way through and thinking oh my god i'm i love this and i thought it was probably sort of quite trancey and stuff but that was my first recollection of really getting into like four to the floor dance music i grew up as a big fan of boy george and um i still am a, a big fan yeah he's great was he a teenage icon for you um not particularly. Before I got into dance music, I was really into pop. I loved like the Spice Girls and Madonna. And no, I didn't really have drag icons or queer icons growing up who were actually queer. I got into him later, for sure. And I became obsessed with 80s club culture, of which, of course, he was a huge part of culture club, literally. Um, so later down the line, I got really interested in that world, yeah. I really want to hear about those nights at trade when you were 16. Can you remember your very first night? Gosh. I remember I went to trade because I was turned away from GAY at the Astoria. I was going to GAY every single Saturday night for about three months. Fake ID, getting in, getting on it, and dancing to steps or whatever, (laughs) whatever it was. And I remember they ID'd me. They said, we need some proper ID. And so my friend said, well, look, let's go to trade at Terminals. It's, it's 20 minutes up the road in Clerkenwell. Queued up outside, paid to get in. It was like 20 quid or something. I was like, what's oh, so expensive. Got inside and it was a whole nother world. A lot of men dancing with shirts off, hard, heavy music. The main room was hard house. And then room two was trade light. And that was a bit more funky house and a bit more soul and a bit more kind of disco house and that kind of stuff. And I remember being in that room thinking, oh, I love this. (laughs) I really connected with the melodies and with the kind of joyful nature. And I don't regret going out that young, but for sure, I went out a little too young than, than what's probably recommended. Yeah. You'd have loved this. I once went to trade with Atomic Kitten and had a night. Oh. <laughs> it was amazing. There were always stories of like um, Grace Jones arrived and didn't get in or or like Bjork was seen in trade. And I don't really know how true all those stories are. And there were never any photos, but it was a very, very iconic, legendary place, of course. I mean, you know, trade was the 90s in London. And we're talking 2001, 
this isn't really at its at its peak point. Were you part of a scene, would you say? I've been part of loads of different scenes, to be honest. When I was at university, we used to go to this club called Pop Stars at the Scala and it was indie music. And so I'd be dancing to like the strokes played by the DJ every every Friday night. Then there was this whole boombox slash antisocial um, era, which was New Rave, they called it. And we'd go to Boombox on a Sunday night in Hoxton Square. And that's when Shoreditch was really popping off and Pop Magazine was out. And the music was like the yeah, yeah, yeahs. And Justice were around and too many DJs would like pop up and do a surprise DJ set at Boombox. And that was kind of my late university years. And then I kind of created my own scenes because I didn't really feel that there was anything that served me completely because I always liked the glamour as well on the flip side of all of that so I started throwing parties in the West End and club nights in the West End and that's when I sort of created my own places to hang I guess that's creating a scene this was at London College of Fashion I was studying at London College of Fashion yeah I, I first started doing clubs just as I graduated but I did work at clubs while I was at university that's how I paid my way was that a life-changing time yeah um, it really was because as soon as I got to London and even before I started studying I moved to London maybe three months before I started in some flat share and I started doing drag and just hitting the clubs every night and getting into them all for free because I was in drag and hanging out in the DJ booth with DJs that were playing and it sort of introduced me to a lot of people, most of which are still friends of mine now. And just being out every night in this amazing city at a time where there was so much to do because there were so many clubs that were on. On Monday, we'd go to the end to Errol Alkins night, which was called Trash. On Tuesday, we'd go somewhere. On Wednesday, we'd go to Fruit Machine at Heaven or we'd go to Nag Nag Nag. There were just places to go to every single night and they'd all be absolutely amazing. When did you first do the drag? I started to do drag as soon as I moved to London, just as a one-off fun thing to do because I thought, I'm moving to London, I'm going to do drag. Was it like a separate life then from life in Canterbury? Oh, yeah, but I've always been the odd one out. I've always been the weirdo. So I don't know if I was really being that different and I've always been quite provocative. So I don't know if it was a separate life, but it was um, definitely an extension of how I already was when I was a kid, for sure. I mean, of course I would start doing drag. I mean, it just made perfect sense to me. <laughs> you know, I was like living in London. Of course, I'm now a drag queen. <laughs> just like, my mom was like, what are you doing? What is my son doing? <laughs> Were you a good one for the first time? No. I don't even know if I am now. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I was absolutely terrible at first. And I did it kind of as a joke, just for fun. And then I did it again and again. And I had fun and I liked the buzz that it gave me and the attention. And I liked the sort of couple of drinks tickets that would be thrust into my hand by a promoter if I went to their club in drag. And then eventually I realized that I could turn this into a bit of a job. So I'd dance on the bar at Ministry of Sound or I would um, do the guest list at various gay club nights. And then when I graduated, I realized that I could turn it into a career. So I started to throw parties and I did big club nights. I knew lots of people, so I'd invite them down and some of my friends were DJs, so they'd come and play. And, and then I became a DJ because the venue that I was doing most of my parties at were being really tight with DJ fees. So I said, well, I'll learn how to DJ and I'll play the opening set. I have a huge collection of music. I love music. I reckon I can do it. So I was taught the ropes by my best friend, who actually now is a very, very successful dance music producer. And um, he taught me how to DJ. And the rest is history. 
I became a DJ. He needs a name check. Who was that? Oh, he's KDA. He's Chris. He's had a number one and yeah. You owe him a lot. I do. Don't owe him any money. <laughs> he's not getting 10% of anything. <laughs> it's interesting that you started off talking about being focused. That seems to be a something about you, yeah? I'm pretty focused, yeah. I've always realized that to throw a great party, you have to be up really early in the morning working or to do a great DJ set, you can't be absolutely shattered. So rest is really important. Focus is really important for me because I like to be really good at what I do. I've always been a bit of a perfectionist. If people are coming and paying money to see me perform, I've got to give them a great show and be really good at what I do. So that involves being driven and rested and focused and working really hard. For you, do you think that being a great DJ is about what you look like too? For me personally, I obviously have the look. I'm in drag. I always look the same. You know, I have my set look, which is how I feel comfortable. It's a bit of a uniform for me. I'd say the music's the most important thing. Primarily people would come and see me DJ because they know they're going to hear great music and have a dance and and the vibe that I bring rather than what's she going to wear? Because you know what I'm going to look like. Like I'm going to have the same wig on that I always have on. You know, I'm going to have my look. Nowadays, brand is a really important factor when you're a musician or a DJ or an artist of any kind, you know. I mean, I guess it always has been. And, you know, Andy Warhol, one of my heroes, he had a brand. You know, he had that wig and those glasses. Like he wouldn't one day wear a a black wig instead. He had that grey wig. You have your look. You have your sort of iconic look. I've said this before, the people that I've always been really drawn to People like Anna Wintour or we mentioned Boy George, he's you know got his look or people that kind of set up this iconic visual brand identity for themselves. So I do think it's important for what I do. It's not important for every DJ, no. When I'm getting ready, I, I have my one look that I put together and it's really very uniform for me. I think it might help with the confidence that you have. Um, Perhaps, yeah. What, like an armour? Kind of. Perhaps. I guess that that could play into it. All right. Time for the first of your five picks now from the 45 in this record box here. Okay. All the questions are on 45 sleeves. Amazing. I'll dip in. You say when. Okay. Okay, now. (laughs) Your first question from the box is, have you ever gone to pieces and cleared a dance floor? Oh, so many times especially towards the beginning of my DJ career. I've come away from so many sets going, that just didn't work. Not so much anymore. You know, we move. You learn from that. You work out, maybe it was the wrong place to DJ. Maybe it's the wrong time that you were booked for. Maybe you played the wrong sort of music. Maybe you should be a little more prepared. Maybe there was someone on another stage or in in room two or whatever that everyone wanted to go and see. You learn from it. You grow. When's it all gone brilliantly right? Oh, I remember... um, There was a DJ set about six months before we went into lockdown. It was at Wilderness Festival. It's about 10,000 people. It's beautiful. The way the lasers hit the trees and stuff, it's just the most stunning place to DJ. And I remember thinking, that was amazing. Can you remember any of what you played? Big house music tunes, not too commercial, loads of old stuff. Maybe, I, I think I might have teased a few of my tracks as well before they came out. I hadn't made my house at that point. There was a track that I released called Tuesday which I made with Sophie. And I think I went back and made a few changes when I heard it on the big system. You were close to Sophie, right? Yeah, we were really good friends. Yeah, that was very sad. Worked together a bit as well. Made some stuff for Charlie XCX. Co-produced something for me and did some other bits that are just unreleased and 
and won't be. But uh, you have got new music coming out. We'll get onto that in a bit for now. I'll get back into the box. Yeah. All right. So say when. For when. Can you complete this sentence? No. <laughs> Never again will I... DJ with heels on. <laughs> I kick my heels off now before I start DJing. I, um, I've been doing this for a really long time now. I walk on stage in a pair of high heels. As soon as I get behind the booth, I kick them off and I throw some trainers on. Then I can dance about a lot more. I'm in it a bit more. I just feel in the music a bit more. If I'm wearing high heels, I'm just balancing on stilts. What uh, do you like to start a set with, uh, you know, invariably? What, what's your best starter? Moving forwards, I'm now going to be playing uh, My House, which is my track. And there's a really great remix by a guy called Dance System, purely because we've just shot visuals for it when I do my shows with like LED screens and stuff. So they'll be synced to the first track. And then they'll play at random after the first track. The Jody Harsh machine's getting bigger and bigger, isn't it? I'm scared. No, I'm not scared. <laughs> I've been working towards this for a really long time. So it feels like it's really connecting on a bigger scale now. And there's just loads of stuff that I want to do. And, you know, I'm a drag queen. I kind of represent the weirdo in the playground, the queer kid on stage that's, that's suddenly in a majority straight environment being sort of allowed in, in that world. And that feels really good. It feels like it's pro- a little bit progressive, I think. Absolutely. Amen to that. How to DJ with Chris Hawkins. Still to come. If we're just talking about drag queens that perform and stuff, I mean, buy me a drag queen that loves being in drag. They're very few and far between. I mean, it just hurts. I wonder what that little kid in Canterbury would have thought of all of this. I know, and I really keep that idea very close. Back into the box, Jodie. Mm, now. <laughs> So this is three questions in one. Okay. It's song titles, okay? The first is, Are Friends Electric? Is that the question? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Are Friends Electric? Yes. Yes, friends are really, really important. Especially really good friends that are very honest and will tell it to you like it is. I have friends. I'll spend all day in the studio making something, thinking it sounds really good. I'll send it to a friend and go, don't like it. I really appreciate honest friendships. Who are your best friends? I have a small close group of very good friends who have really normal jobs and then i have a few other people who have quite exciting jobs but I'd maybe have i'd say about 10 best best friends are there any other famous graduates from your time at uh, london college of fashion not really from my time no i did a fashion um, journalism degree i kind of wanted to work at vogue that that was sort of where i was heading which obviously i didn't end up doing so i guess there are some quite successful stylists but not really no this is another song title as part of this question uh, where is the love the love is on the dance floor do you like being on the dance floor yourself as opposed to behind the deck not particularly i love being in a nightclub environment i love hearing music i love hearing other people play but i guess I mean, sometimes I do hit a dance floor. Like I went to a party on Friday night and I was in the middle of the dance floor all night. But I tend not to be. On, I'm not saying I hate being on the dance floor like that. That sounds really wrong. I don't mean it like that. But I tend not to be in the middle of the dance floor very often. I prefer being in the DJ booth. Are you a good or, or an enthusiastic dancer? <laughs> I'm a dad dancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not the best dancer. Don't pretend to be. Uh, do you drink when you DJ? No, I don't. No. I'm like sparkling water. I like to, there's that back to that focus thing. Yeah, the discipline. Yeah, I'm super disciplined. Yeah. One more of these as part of this question three from the box. It's another song title. Yeah. Should I stay or should I go? Oh, you should absolutely stay. Stay for one more. 
it's going to get really good. Hey, that's uh, good advice for yeah. life, isn't it? <laughs> that's my motto. One more. <laughs> right, back into the box for question four now. Yes. And go. Have you ever felt euphoric? Yes, when I've double dropped. <laughs> Honest? <laughs> if it's a work thing, does that mean you have n- not two personas, no? Or, or do you? I, I can't quite work it out. Oh, my friends might tell you differently, but I think I'm just the same person. I'm just in work mode, you know, I'm just a little bit more animated. I'm in work mode if I'm in drag. It's not very comfortable. You're very matter of fact about it. Am I? And I like that. It's not very romantic vision, is it? I, w- I perhaps expected a sort of sexier answer than that. But, you know, I kind of get it now, I think, more than I did when, when we started. Yeah. I mean, I'd consider myself more a DJ than a drag queen, even though my job is both kind of combined together. But if we're just talking about drag queens that perform and stuff, I mean, find me a drag queen that loves being in drag. They're very few and far between. It just hurts. Yeah, what kind of effort goes into it? How long does it take to get ready? It takes a few hours. Hours? Yeah. I shave about an hour before I start doing my makeup, and then my makeup and wig and stuff takes about two hours. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, so it's, there's a lot of forward planning and a lot of, like, watching the clock for certain cues and stuff and my i glue my eyebrows down that takes about half an hour <laughs> that's the whole thing um taking it off takes ages as well yeah i sound a bit moany don't i i actually love it i love what i've created and i love the culture of drag the sort of the world that i'm part of and being able to express how i feel inside i really really love it i do really love it i don't think you sound moany i think you just sound very straightforward very clear-headed yeah i definitely would agree with you yeah It would be easy to think that the world's looking at you in a different way and to feel like people are staring for the right reasons and it seems like you get that. Well, if people stare, you've got to make it worth their while, haven't you? (laughs) Back into the box. And this is your fifth and final (laughs) question from the book. And go. What makes you fizz? Um, A great bass line. And... um, some nice sharp hi hats. <laughs> Sweet. That's what makes me fizz. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jody, they were your five questions from the box, but I have got a handful more quick fires if you're up for these. Absolutely. Go for it. All right. First, do you have a song with a very special memory attached? I love Sing It Back by Maloko. Um, I remember hearing it on holiday when I was, I guess I was probably 18 or something, and I just remember. It was in that real disco house era, that funky, funky house era. And I remember hearing that and just thinking like, oh, this is amazing. It's been one of my favorite songs ever since. So there's not a particular memory. There are loads of memories attached to that song, really. I'm a big fan of that song and Rasheen, who just carries on being brilliant. Oh, she's an absolute icon. You should get her on the podcast. She is brilliant. Yes. I have spoken to DJ Parrot is going to come on. Yes. Does he still produce for her a lot? Well, yeah, he just did the Rasheen Machine album, um, the brilliantly named Rasheen Machine album. That album is perfection, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. It's like a modern disco classic, right? Absolutely. It's like Moroder vibes and stuff. I'm obsessed with it. It's great. She's brilliant. Yeah. I asked him to do something on stage with me and he said, man, I would love to do the podcast, but I haven't been on a stage for 30 years. Oh, really? Wow. So I will be getting him on. Uh, next, can you name two songs that you love playing back to back? Oh, um, okay. I love B Sharp Saying Out by Patrick Topping. Do you know that track? No. Proper banger. Okay. It's like a real like proper party star. Sure. Always in your sets then or regularly? I pretty much always play that in my sets. That's a mainstay, that track. 
And there's a track called The Story Continues. That is by, I think his name is Marco Lice or Marco Liss or something, L-Y-S. And I tend to mix those two together. That usually feels right in the moment. I remember seeing Honey Dijon in a Sugar Mountain boiler room stream. And I remember thinking, what is this record? So I shazammed it. And now it's usually in my sets. Thanks, Honey Dijon. Yeah, well, I hope that by listening to this, there'll be people that are taking notes and uh, going to the, there'll be a Spotify playlist to go with the podcast. Oh, yeah. Music is there to be shared. So uh, hopefully you'll have provided people with some additions to their sets. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. Can you uh, name a great three in a row? A third one to add on to that. Or even in terms of what we just said about sharing, you know, three other great songs that are are regularly in your set. Okay. I love Little Louie, Club Lonely. me too. Yeah. Big fan of that. Let me think. Um, maybe a couple of modern things. I love. I really love the new Jack Jones record, Phils, because it sounds very early nineties. Got a nice bouncy bass line. It sounds a little bit like something D Light may have done or something. And D Light's one of my favourite bands. Oh, let's say D Light track as well. What is Love by D Light? Because I love the bass line. Good shout. Um, I was interested to hear earlier when you mentioned going to indie clubs, not as a, a regular thing, but um, that you did used to go occasionally and you mentioned the Strokes. It, was that a period in indie music that you enjoyed? Um, at the time, yeah, for about a year. And that was a real student thing. I grew out of that quite quickly. <laughs> I would never go to an indie gig now. If someone was like, oh, I've got tickets to see the Strokes for the like, show at Brixton Academy, I'd be like, I'm going to stay at home. No guitars, thank no you. No guitars. Do you, do you have a DJ hero? Um, oh, great question. I loved Frankie Knuckles. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's obviously going way back, but he was such an icon. And I also love that he barely ever really travelled. So if you ever saw Frankie Knuckles play live outside of New York or Chicago, you were very lucky because he didn't get on planes. I mean, we can say Larry Levan. Yes. Uh, you know, the Paradise Garage. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd have loved to have been at the Paradise Garage hearing Larry play. Wow. If I had a time machine, that's probably where I'd go. Have you played with anyone relatively recently that you've enjoyed being there with on a night? Just played with Eats Everything. Absolutely love love him, love his energy. He's a straight guy, but just absolutely loves queer culture and he loves playing gay clubs, actually. <laughs> do you love queer culture? Yes, I do. I'm hugely passionate about it, especially queer club culture and the underground and anything subversive and um yes i love queer culture and things are moving in a brilliantly right direction aren't they they are and it's due to big musical artists it's due to things on tv you know it's even due to things like drag race being on the bbc you've been on drag race haven't you i have i dropped by for a dj set and it was very nice to be asked to go on and do my actual job which is a dj so yeah uh, do you get offended? Not easily. Do you have reason to be offended ever? No, not really. I'm sure I've heard it all. I don't really <laughs> care. I don't know. I'm pretty secure in myself, I think. Not in a cocky way at all, but to do what I do, you can't really be easily offended. I run around in a wig <laughs> for money. <laughs> Tell me about the music that you're producing now and uh, what it sounds like uh, and what the plan is. So... My my music's always influenced by the house music that I love and by disco. And yeah, we're just releasing singles every now and then. And I signed to Warner Records at the top of this year. And they're really being completely amazing and really helping develop me and my sound and releasing loads of music and getting on the road and playing it. Feels really good. Isn't that awesome getting signed to a major? Oh, I mean, 
I'm really, really happy with with Warner's. We had a few conversations and Warner's just really, really got me. It felt really right. Loved all the team. Loved the vision they had. Loved where they wanted to take me. And it just felt like a really, really good home, a really, really good supportive home. So I'm very, I'm very happy. Yeah. Congratulations. I wonder what that little kid in Canterbury would have thought of all of this. I know. And I really keep that idea very close. Often, I often think back and think, wow, you know, when you were being like teased in the playground for being a weirdo, if only you could just sort of fast forward, you know, and see what the future holds. Because I'm not from any kind of amazing background. You know, I'm from a very, very normal family. There was no luxury growing up. I'm not from a musical, particularly musical family. I'm not from any of that, but you, you can make it happen. The girl done good. The girl done good? <laughs> <laughs> Jody, it's the end of the world and you have to play the last three records on earth. What would those three records be? Uh, one of mine, just because you've always got to get a plug in, I'd probably play My House. Um, maybe a chic record. I'm a huge Nile Rodgers fan. Uh, if the world's ending I'd play Good Times and um, maybe something Giorgio Moroder Electric Dreams Always Be Together yeah let's go for that <laughs> perfect that's a great final record as everything goes to shit great love it Jodie you've been bloody brilliant thank you very much I enjoyed that thank you Jodie Harsh and that was How to DJ thanks for listening please remember to follow us wherever you get your podcast from 